Section 6 of The Rover, Volume 1, Number 18. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Ollie A. G. The Rover, Volume 1, Number 18. Edited by Seba Smith and Lawrence Labrie. Section 6. A Sketch by Mrs. Elizabeth Oakes Smith. She was just to be married, happy, gay, and beautiful, wholly devoted to her lover. And yet, yet I had the audacity to tell her I loved her. She laughed in my face, not a laugh of scorn, for that is dreadful in a woman, and would have made me hate her, but a natural, easy laugh of incredulity, as if the absurdity of the idea were a subject for merriment. I believe she thought it impossible for love to exist without hope. And she was so happy, so free from vanity, and so full of spirit she either could not or would not understand me. It is true I did not tell my passion in very lover-like style, for she was so gay I could get no chance. And when I did, there was her low, musical laugh. And then she gave me her pocket handkerchief, bade me to keep it to wipe my tears, and come and dance at her wedding. The gypsy. I could have cried in good earnest. And yet who could cry, while her beaming eyes were turned full in my face, and the melody of her voice was ringing in my ears. Everything she spoke upon seemed touched with her own brilliant fancy, and acquired the delicate colouring of her own pure and impassioned soul. Well, they were married, the lover was worthy of the bride, and they were happy. With a cold, damp brow and hands like marble, I witnessed the ceremony that closed to me the avenue of hope and affected the gaiety which others felt. I went to my room and took the dainty handkerchief she had given me, and fastened it by one corner over my writing table. Here, day after day, as I pursued the duties of my profession, I gazed upon it as a memento of blasted hopes. The pretty device in the corner, the fair penmanship, and then the aristocratic name, Isabella, all fed my fancy, and kept up melancholy associations. Thus week after week passed away, and there seemed no prospect that time, the great reliever of others' woes, would mitigate mine. I grew listless and abstracted. Wealth and fame, what were they to me? The sick heart turns with disgust from all these things. One night I returned to my room. I recollect it was Monday. At any other time I should have admired the neatness with which the maid had arranged the appurtenances of my chamber. But I was wretched now. This hopeless passion was wearing me into the grave. I felt it in my languid limbs the lazy flow of my blood, and the feeble beat of my pulse. I had lost a case in court, which at any other time I might have won with little effort, only by my indifference and inactivity. 
My client was exasperated. I could not blame him, and I could have wept with sorrow and vexation. A tear did indeed start to my eye, in spite of my manhood. I seated myself at my table and mechanically raised my hand to the dear memento suspended over it. It may wipe my tears while my heart is breaking, I thought. As I pressed it to my face, its touch seemed less delicate than usual, and I lifted my eyes to ascertain the cause. The maid had taken it down to wash and suspended in its place one of her own, clean, white and coarse. Hannah Mopsy was worked in round capitals in the corner. I looked upon it for a moment and then burst into a loud long laugh that sent the blood with a start into every part of my body. I was completely cured. End of section 6